Welcome to episode six of Dirt Track Weekly. I'm your host, Kyle Simons. Last week, we talked about the need for racetracks to use social media effectively to promote their events, and we took a look at Eldora Speedway banning stick signals for the Dirt Late Model Dream. If you didn't get a chance to listen, you can go back and check it out in our archives. This week, we're going to talk about fan negativity on social media, and we're going to break down Memorial Day weekend, looking specifically at Ricky Thornton Jr.'s disqualification from the Show Me 100. Kyle Bronson, who currently sits third in the World of Outlaw Late Models point standings entering Memorial Day weekend, sold the Golden Isle Speedway in Brunswick, Georgia, to Steve Stevenson, an Illinois businessman and modified racer. The deal came to be done through Bronson's relationship with Stevenson. Bronson has driven for him, at the, his modified at the Gateway Dirt Nationals in the past, and Stevenson has plans to build a concert venue and a bar at the Speedway in an effort to expand its entertainment footprint. We'll see how that works out. Outside of Georgia, Florida Speed Week events for the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series early in the season, Golden Isles gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to weekly programs. I would imagine Stevenson will move to a specials-only kind of schedule in an effort to make the track profitable. A couple high-profile chassis switches in the late model world took place earlier this week. Garrett Alberson switched from Black Diamond race cars to Longhorn, and Garrett Smith moved from Rocket to Longhorn. We will see how these switches play out, but there's no denying both Alberson and Smith have struggled this season. Smith also dropped off the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series in an effort to get their program running better. Randall Edwards left Tyler Erb's team earlier this season to become the new crew chief for Smith, who won last year's Dirt Track World Championship. When Edwards was with Erb, they ran Rockets. So the switch to Longhorn is going to be different, but could provide the jolt needed for both teams, much like Mason Ziegler's recent switch from Barry Wright race cars to Rockets has bolstered his efforts as, as he has a weekly win at Port Royal, as well as many solid runs with Flow Night in America and Lucas Oil in recent weeks. On Tuesday night, Nick Hoffman picked up his first career World of Outlaw Late Model Series victory at State Line in New York. Max Blair, Bobby Pierce, Gordy Gundaker, and Chubb Frank rounded out the top five. Good to see Gundaker running as well as he is right now. I would look for a tour victory for Gordy in the near future. On Thursday night, Chris Madden picked up his first World of Outlaw Late Model Series victory of the season at Sharon on opening night of the Battle of the Border. Bobby Pierce finished second, but made hard contact with Drake Troutman while racing for position. Troutman was taken out of the race later after a lap car spun in front of him. Tyler Courtney picked up the All-Star Circuit of Champions win at Bridgeport over Kyle Reinhart, Anthony Macri, who came back from the tail, Hunter Schurenberg, and Corey Eliason. Justin Peck took a hard wreck that actually ripped the roll cage apart. Peck is lucky to not have been seriously injured in that wreck. Danny Dietrich tweeted later that the opening in the track sketch fence caused it. If that's the case, then they need to close the opening. Even if it wasn't, they still need to close it. Whether it was the opening or not, we need to look at the roll cages. Wrecks like this, we need to be proactive in doing more to make the car safer instead of just waiting for something bad to happen. The other issue of Bridgeport was that the All-Stars disqualified two drivers who got out of their cars that were checking on Peck Peck after the wreck. They were lit up on social media, but I believe this was a state law in New Jersey decision. Last year, when Dylan Sisney's car was on fire at Port Royal, Dietrich and Logan Wagner were not disqualified for getting out of their cars to help. Also on Thursday, starting off a busy Memorial Day weekend, Jonathan Davenport held off Ricky Thornton Jr. late in the race to win the Cowboy Classic on night one of the Show Me 100 at Wheatland for the Lucas Oil Late Mile Dirt Series. I'm a fan of the preliminary night events for Lucas Oil because no provisionals are handed out. If you aren't fast enough, then that's tough. On Friday, Jonathan Davenport made it two in a row by taking the second preliminary night for the Show Me, 
over Tim McCready and Ricky Thornton Jr. Brad Sweet won the opening night of the World of Outlaw Swing at Atomic over Kyle Larson and Carson Macedo. Ryan Gustin took night two of the Battle of the Border at Sharon for the World of Outlaw Late Models over Kyle Bronson and Brandon Shepard. Rounding out Friday night, Lance DeWeese won the Doug S. Tribute Race for the All-Stars at Williams Grove over Danny Dietrich and Anthony Macri. It came out on Friday that Cody Mallory, who we all know has his issues, left the Rocket House Car team and was turning the wrenches for Mason Ziegler. Ziegler has been very fast lately since getting a rocket, and O'Neill struggled the first two nights at Wheatland. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Saturday night, Anthony Macri dominated night one of the Bob Weicker Memorial at Port Royal with the All-Stars. Macri took the win by almost 10 seconds over Mike Wagner and Brett Marks. And it appeared that Ricky Thornton Jr. picked up the $50,000 in the Show Me 100 over Devin Moran, Tim McCready, Spencer Hughes, and Chris Ferguson. But after post-race tech, Devin Moran was declared the winner. I'll be the first to admit that I hate the droop rule. It seems like a lot of guys are failing droop, and it's obvious that they aren't all blatantly cheating. And if I'm being honest, the product in super late model racing over the past couple years hasn't been all that great, especially on bigger tracks. Maybe that isn't because of the droop rule, but maybe it is. After the event, Kevin Rumley, who owns the late model that Kyle Larson runs, said the droop rule is the most ridiculous rule in the history of racing and congratulated those that voted for it. The droop rule penalty is biting guys at a rate higher than what I think anyone expected. Bobby Pierce mentioned on Twitter that Thornton was one and three-eighths inch above the limit. But there's also a one-inch tolerance level. But Pierce said on rough tracks, there should be a two-inch limit. When tracks are rough, you have to do times when, when their rubber biscuit breaks on the cars. The rubber biscuit or the chain limiter that holds it together a lot of times will break because of the roughness of the surface. Hopefully something is done this offseason to alleviate that and get late model racing on bigger tracks back to being a racier product. And that's not necessarily a droop thing. So more than likely, Thornton's droop chain broke due to the track surface. He was penalized five spots due to the infraction. And I disagree with that. Don't get me wrong. I think they should get rid of droop altogether. But if they're going to keep the droop rule when someone is over the variance, you have to disqualify them altogether. Not just however many spots you think they should be penalized. Chris Madden took $25,000 in the Battle of the Border at Sharon for the World of Outlaw Late Models over Tanner English, Bobby Pierce, Brian Shirley, and Mike Marler. Carson Macedo had a perfect night with the World of Outlaws at Atomic, winning everything he entered over David Gravel, Donnie Schatz, Sheldon Hodenshield, and Gio Selzy. And Lance DeWeese won the Bob Weicker Memorial on Sunday, taking home $29,000 from the All-Star Circuit of Champions at Port Royal over Anthony Macri, who dominated Saturday night's event. Macri, though, was crowned the overall Weicker champion. As it has been a hot topic in recent years, I want to look at fan negativity on social media when it comes to racetracks. I saw a post from Kelly Carlton, who is the race director of the Flow Racing Night in America Tour, as well as the Ultimate Super Late Model Series, earlier this week that I think rings true. Kelly was speaking specifically about the North Wilkesboro comments after the All-Star event for NASCAR this past week, but it rings true for dirt racing as well. Kelly said, my timeline is exactly what is wrong with NASCAR, and it's likely where the entire sport is headed. People clamored for North Wilkesboro to reopen. They championed it, blamed NASCAR for turning their backs on the fan base. They talked about losing roots. Short tracks are better, et cetera, et cetera. And the only thing I see is people complaining about it and finding the negatives to talk about. You could almost insert the name of any closed dirt facility 
and find much of the same kind of history and the same result. So is it really a bad racing problem? Is it a poor management problem? Is it the current polarizing drivers that compete? Or maybe, just maybe, it's an us problem. Seems everyone only talks about or looks for the negatives at a track. Five wide racing versus talking too long to move a crash. Guess which one is talked about the most? We're all, we are all imperfect, every last one of us. So why do we seemingly only expect and accept per- perfection of others? I agree with a lot of what Kelly is saying here. So the all-star race wasn't the best race, but the event was huge for the sport. And everywhere you look, you see people tearing it apart for being a bad race. In the dirt racing world, there are a lot of tracks that would that work very hard on promotion for big events. But people can't help but find something to complain about in the comments section on Facebook and start an argument with others who support the track. It's a tough business to be in, generally speaking. But when fans just constantly find something to bitch about, it doesn't make things any easier. Racetracks are a business. And just like any other business, they will eventually go out of business if they don't make money. And guess what? They are not going to run every time you want them to run just so there is a race to attend. When the weather is shit, it's smarter for tracks to cancel those programs and not take the massive financial hit just to run a show. Williams Grove in particular gets killed by people on social media weekly when it comes to canceling events. But I don't see anyone on there volunteering to give away $75,000 of their own money to run an event that is sure to be a money loser. But the expenses from the purse to just normal operating costs add up very quickly. And if it looks like rain, tracks shouldn't be raked through the coals when they cancel an event, as opposed to voluntarily losing massive amounts of money just so the fans in the comments section stop complaining. And here's the kicker in all of this. Most of the people whining in the comments section weren't planning on coming to the event anyway, even if the weather was perfect. If there is one thing that can be taken away from all of this, it's that the comments section on a track's Facebook page is not based on reality. There's a very small percentage of your audience that isn't going to pay the bills. There's a lot of tracks that have closed in recent years, and if fans don't start finding the good and having tracks around, then there's going to be a lot more closing. I'll look at the Williams Grove example again. Many comments in that Facebook section, when they cancel, you can read people saying, sell the track. When the time comes that they actually do, don't complain when that historical facility becomes a housing development. That does it for this week's episode. If you like what you hear, follow us on whatever app you use to listen to your podcast and follow our Twitter page at Updates. Give us a rating and a review and we will greatly appreciate it. See you next week right here on Dirt Track Weekly.